Hey, Three Crosses family, Pastor AJ back on the mic. I oversee life groups and discipleship here at Three Crosses, and today we are rounding out our series titled Let's Go. We've been having great conversations about things that we are being called to do in the new year and beyond, and we are closing it out with the topic, Let's Invite Others. We got a great conversation in store for you, and so with that, let's go deeper. Well, joining us to talk about the practice of inviting others in this Christian journey is none other than Austin Payne. Austin, it is an honor to have you on the podcast. I know I missed the last episode. Pastor Ryan took that, but I've been waiting for this moment. Yeah, I feel like you're a podcast here. guy. And, it's good to uh, be here. I do love a good podcast. Yeah. yeah. I, we were talking right before we started recording about microphones and random stuff. And at, at, over COVID, every pastor became like a like podcast junkie, you know, we were all putting out horrible digital media. And so it's fun to advance down the road and actually create things that are useful. Yeah. And we can give a huge shout out to our, uh, our team who makes this podcast happen. So we're looking at Daniel Klimov right now. Absolutely. Huge thank you to Daniel and Nathaniel and all the, the team that produces all this stuff. So heck yeah, a big thank you. While you're editing this, don't edit this out, Daniel. Don't edit this one. <laughs> but today we're here to talk about inviting others, this last portion of this Let's Go series. And um, you brought us to Matthew 28, a very popular passage. Mm. A lot of Christians in the church have probably heard this passage. Um, but hey, maybe you're out there, you haven't heard it before, uh, and we got to talk about it on Sunday. And so... Uh, as you know, if you're a longtime listener, the first question is always going to be, let's get our bearings around Matthew 28. Yeah. So I'm thinking macro context, what, what's the book of Matthew intending to do? And then even specifically, what's going on that leads up to the epic events of Matthew 28? So Austin, could you help us orient our minds around yeah, this yeah. passage? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm a missionary kid, so this was like, it's a big passage this is like our bread and butter, you know? <laughs> Um, like every missions conference ever is like the Great Commission. You got to unpack it. Um, but yeah, the book of Matthew itself right, is the first of four Gospels, and like you're starting the New Testament, turning the page into this life of Jesus. And so Matthew specifically is written to a Jewish audience. It's written to an audience that would have been very familiar with Old Testament context. Uh, it, it starts out with a long list of names, a genealogy that we looked at uh, for our Advent series, which is kind of a, a cool tie looking in the rearview mirror of Three Crosses. And w- even within that, of tying Jesus to this Old Testament lineage. Um, and then, yeah, Matthew 28 is the very last chapter. And so it's Jesus... Uh, returning to his guys. And this is like the first conversation that we see with his disciples. And it's really the last conversation that we see with his disciples, but first conversation post-resurrection. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the greater context of the Great Commission itself, right? You got like Mary and the other Mary, which always cracks me up. It's like, how would you like to be the other Mary in the story? <laughs> It's like, it's honestly kind of me at Three Crosses now. There's like Austin, and then I'm the, the other, other Austin. Austin. <laughs> right? It's like, what an I, analogy. so I feel you, other Mary. I feel you. And so it's it's like the, um, 
Yeah, like I, there's this hilarious story in my mind. I kind of think God has a sense of humor in the way that Matthew wrote this, but it's you got the Marys, they're going to visit Jesus's grave, honor it, and bring perfumes and whatnot. And then uh, the angel says, like, do not be afraid. Go tell your brothers in Galilee, like, that Jesus is risen. And there's just, like, this crazy moment, right? The angels have shown up to those Roman guards that would have been from birth, like, trained uh, to be soldiers. Like, these are the biggest, baddest dudes. Like, th there's no way they're getting posted at Jesus' grave if they're not, like, special ops-level <laughs> Roman soldiers. And they fall dead at the sight of these angels. And wow. then those same angels... Not fall dead, but they, they like fall as dead men. The Bible says is like they passed out out of fear, and then the, those angels show up to to the Marys. So I have to believe like the Marys' adrenaline is like spiked, right? Mm -hmm. Like they came to pay their regards to a dead man, and they see these passed out Roman soldiers. They see an angelic being that tells them that Jesus is no longer here, sends them back to the disciples. Um, which is like a whole other rabbit trail that we could chase. Like <clears throat> if you wanted to verify a story in first century Judaism, women would have never been the first people on right, the scene. Right. And yet the Bible like tells it how it happened. Like if you wanted to say that somebody rose again from the, the dead, you would get like the most reputable person and mm -hmm. say like that person saw him. And yet the Bible says it was the Marys. And it's like, what? Like <laughs> that, why would you have said it was women? Like you right. could have, and, and it just goes to show that like, this is a story about real people in real time in a real place. And it says the Marys were, they're running. And then I love like this moment where Jesus is like, greetings, right? It's like, <laughs> like, that's the first word in red letters in my Bible. It's like, Jesus says greetings. And I have to believe, like, I'm the youngest of four siblings. Like, I love to scare the crap out of my siblings. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you're allowed to say crap on this podcast, but there it is. I'm the student's guy. Yeah, it is what it is. But, uh, like, I have to believe there, there's just, like, something enjoyable as human beings about scaring somebody, right? Like, I would go to great lengths to hide behind a door and just like wait patiently for one of my sisters to walk around and then like scream. And like, if you've been dead and somebody hasn't seen you since you died, and then like the first thing you say to them is greetings, I kind of imagine Jesus like hiding behind a boulder or a tree or something and popping out and being like, ta-da, I'm not dead anymore. Um, that's not in the Bible, but I, I like to think that he said that. And he says, you know, he's the one that actually says, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee there. They will see me. And then the first thing conversation that they have on this mountainside is Jesus and his, and his disciples uh, and the Great Commission, right? And I love the context of all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's like, mm -hmm. what a powerful statement yeah. to wrap up the book of Matthew. It's like, we've seen how he's tied in the Old Testament. We've seen his birth. We've seen his baptism. We've seen his ministry. We saw his death. We see his resurrection. And then his last words, all authority is now mine. And it's mm. like, bum, 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 bum. Like, what an epic <laughs> statement to go and commission his disciples to really start this movement that will change the course of history. Yeah, it's awesome just to hear your perspective on it because that's one of the things I love about having conversations with both you, Danny, Ryan, Patty, whoever it is, just the perspective that you bring to this passage because it's just like in my seat I'm like my heart's beating like oh man what's yeah. gonna happen what's gonna happen yeah. so it's like remembering that context that the great commission isn't just this dull thing that like uh, we're burdened to but like mm. this is like the moment you know mm. this is the the moment that everything is building up to and then you get this statement like listen all authority in heaven on earth 
has been given to me. Mm. And it comes with a therefore, and that's where we want to go next in Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So there's a lot to unpack in that those couple verses, but um, man, this was your first Celebrate New Life Sunday, yeah. so it was just awesome so to see awesome. the baptisms, and it was great to be a part of, and you know, um, one of the things that stands out in this passage in particular is baptism gets right. mentioned, right. and so here we are in this huge moment that you built all this context up, like, man, like, the adrenaline's high, like, Jesus is, like introducing himself as the risen savior. He's resurrected and now he's giving them this thing. And then he lays down baptism. Right. And I'm struck by that because what we saw and in this comment, uh, baptism makes an appearance. So, so you brought out, uh, one interesting thing that this main verb make disciples Mm. is like the emphasis of the passage. Right. And so my question to you is, is, where do you see baptism fitting into this uh, endeavor to go and make disciples? Uh, maybe talk to us a little bit about the role of baptism in the journey of a believer and maybe uh, some anecdotal evidence of like, how has baptism transformed the people that you've ministered to in the past? Yeah, yeah. I think if you've been around the church for any amount of time, baptism is like such a normalized thing, right? But outside the context of the church, like it's kind of a bizarre element, right? Like (laughs) I remember I was at the, I from San Diego. And so I remember being at the beach recently and I was like standing on the beach, this big group of people. And all of a sudden, like three older people walk into the water with like a younger guy and they just like start drowning him. (laughs) And then they like, you know, get him up out of the water. And then everybody on the, on the shore just starts like applauding. And I was like, ah, baptism, right? Like, (laughs) but it like took me a second, you know? And it's, it's funny. Like, as somebody who grew up in the church, like I'm like a pastor's kid, missionary kid, like went to Christian schools and all that. So it's like baptism is so normal. And yet like, what a weird thing. (laughs) (laughs) Just like hold somebody underwater for a while. And yet we see it tied to not only the great commission, but you know, in this intertestamental period, there is where this like baptism started to become a practice of like the, you know, you got your old like desert fathers that were starting these like cleansing rituals and, Mm -hmm. Um, and then you see Jesus really turn that and use it as a model of aligning their life with him. And this, this is really in, in the great commission is, is I believe the first time we start to see baptism as a, uh, first step of discipleship of aligning your life with the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Mm. Um, I think it's significant that Jesus was baptized, right? There's that moment in Matthew chapter three, where Jesus is baptized, which had to have been a bizarre moment, right? He comes to John. John's like, I'm not baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And yet Jesus gets baptized, and then there's like this identity piece, right? Like mm. the heavens split. God says like, this is my son with whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Like you listen to him, which is this tie back to Abraham, right? Which is mm-hmm. a, a whole other rabbit trail we could chase. It's like, <laughs> that's the first time love is used explicitly in the New Testament. And it's like ties back to this Abraham and Isaac, like this is my son whom I love. And it's like, that's where like the black and white of scripture starts coming into color as we see these ties happen. But uh, the very next thing we see is Jesus goes out into the desert. And what is, what is Satan's first words to him? If 
you are the son of God, right? It's like, it's an immediate attack on identity. Mm-hmm. And in, in Matthew chapter three, this is the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. He hasn't done anything. He hasn't healed anyone. He hasn't taught any sermons and boom, like grounded identity. This is my son whom I love. And I think the same thing is true and why it's so significant with, with discipleship and why it's such a big part of the great commission is this is uh, Jesus's mandate saying like, Hey, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, that emphasis on make disciples, right? Not on go. This right. isn't like a short-term missions trip thing. This isn't like a, a Mark Tyler, Randy Odom verse. It's like, this is for every single one of us to make disciples. And now how do we do it? We do it as we're going. We do it by teaching people to observe all they've commanded and then baptism. And to your point, it's like, whoa, why, why that? Right. Like of all practices. And I really think it comes down to that identity piece of, like when we come to Jesus, the old is gone, the new is here, and baptism is this like public communal declaration that the old has gone. I'm, I'm going underneath the waters. I'm aligning myself with the life and death of Jesus, and then I'm coming back out, aligning myself with the resurrection of Jesus, this grace gift of new life, and it's such a powerful declaration um, and, and really one of obedience. Like I... Mm-hmm there's always the question of like, well, if you weren't baptized, can you go to heaven? And it's like, what if somebody gave their life to Jesus and then was like struck by lightning? It's like, would they right. still be saved? It's like, I mean, when does that actually happen? I don't know. <laughs> it's like the time between they haven't gotten baptized yet. And it's like, I, I don't think baptism in and of itself is like salvific because it's like the Bible says like, there's one thing and one thing only that saves and it's Jesus. It's like his death, his resurrection that, that pays the penalty for our sin and gives us this gift of new life. But I think baptism is like the most obvious first step of obedience. Mm. And, and to me, like if you haven't gotten baptized, I think my just follow up question would be like, why? Like, why not? Because I, I really think it's crystal clear in Scripture that we see people give their life to Jesus, and then the next step is baptism. And we see that in, in the Bible, and we also see that in, in uh, church history, that it's just this, like, it's this step of obedience mm-hmm. to say, like, I'm going to publicly declare what happened privately. It's like right. this public declaration of this renewal of life through the gift that Jesus has given us. And so that's why I think it's such a, a key part of the Great Commission is it's like it's such a mark of discipleship, public, communal, outspoken, going, this is what I'm declaring, and this is where my identity is now found. That was one of the things that convicted me when I was deciding whether to be baptized was like, man, if I'm calling myself a follower of Jesus, I want to follow his life, and like the first thing that he does right. is he gets baptized. Right. And so it was just very convicting. So if you're out there and you're listening and uh, you watch that service and you were convicted like, we try to have baptisms pretty routinely, so don't worry. You don't miss out, but we, we love Celebrate New Life Sundays. It's one mm-hmm. of the most profound experiences, being in front of your church family, sharing your story. And yet, I'm, I'm also struck by what you said. Like He starts with baptism, and then Jesus immediately goes to be tempted by the, by the devil, by mm-hmm. Satan. And um, it just kind of aligns with a lot of people's stories where they get baptized, and immediately there's some sort of obstacle standing in their way. And so it, it brings us to the other portions of this great commission. Yeah. Because uh, you said make disciples is that main verb. Mm-hmm. And you said the infinitives or, or the, the participles around those words are go, baptize, teach, 
and, and surely I am with you always. So yeah. there's like almost a task that is implied here. And so I was thinking about the service and, and the title, like let's invite friends. And I was so struck because when I think of invite, I'm thinking um, like come and see motif and John. And I, I found it so interesting that you brought us to Matthew 28 here. So I wanted to ask, what did you see when you were thinking, okay, the sermon is all about inviting others, inviting a friend. I want to take people to the Great Commission. Mm. Because it, it almost seems like the invitation for me is like, okay, now I have a list of tasks to accomplish. Uh, I need to go. I need to go baptize people. I need to go teach them. Uh, what was the connection with invitation and the Great Commission that you saw that um, the Lord led you to, to go to Matthew 28 here? Yeah, I, I mean, this is even a conversation that every every week at Three Crosses, there's this uh, process that goes into the sermon being curated, if you will, and it's it's called <laughs> sermon review. And it's uh, what I love about it, and what I love about our church is that uh, you know the primary communicator, whether it's Danny or Ryan or Patty or myself or AJ, um, whoever's up there teaching. <laughs> it's not left to like us and us alone to decide like, all right, here we go. It's, it's really this like brain trust coming together to chew on God's word and pray and um, invite the Holy Spirit into the process. Uh, and I love that. I love that our church is really careful in how God's word is presented. And I think the, the conversation of how Matthew 28 gets brought up is an interesting one because it's like, well, what does invite mean, right? right. What right. is that? Are we just inviting butts and seats, right? Just to go like, <laughs> just pack the house full of people, like church, it's your job just to bring the people here. And like your response to Matthew 28 is just like, bring your friend, have him sit next to you. And then it's like, Pastor Danny will do the job of like actually mm. teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And I think as human beings, we are much more comfortable in like the black and white things of life. Like the gray areas always make us more uncomfortable. And I think it's way easier to like, you know, plant your flag in one, one spot or the other of like discipleship means inviting people to church and it's the pastor's job to preach the gospel and to baptize and whatnot. Or it's like, nah, we don't need the church, like down with clergy and like uh, organized religion. Like we don't need that. It's just me and Jesus on a hill and like we can baptize in the ocean or the water. Like it doesn't have to mm -hmm. be a baptismal. Like and, and, I, and I think, like, there's elements of truth to both of those things of, I absolutely think that a response to Matthew 28 can be as simple as inviting your neighbor to church, right? Like, um, we talked a little bit about this on Sunday, but that Barna study that, that released, like, there, there's, like, an astronomical amount of Americans that have said, I would absolutely go to church if somebody invited me. And I think that's on us. Like that puts the impetus back on us to say like, who is your neighbor? Like who's your actual neighbor? Um, we did that series in the fall talking about like, how do we tangibly, practically love our neighbors and mm -hmm. um, the community that we find ourselves in? And I think a part of that is like invite. And I love that our church creates like really low hanging fruit to invite people to. Like it can be a super intimidating thing to be like, hey, will you come to this small group? And it's like, oh geez, <laughs> like, <laughs> I got to sit in a living room with like 10 other people that I don't know and like suppo I'm supposed to be vulnerable and there's like prayer requests and all this stuff. Like that can be a very intimidating context to invite somebody into. Um, not a bad one, but it could be intimidating. But like ice skating, <laughs> it's like, it's like the easiest invite <laughs> in the world. It's like come yeah. ice skating. Who doesn't want to go to an awesome 
like outdoor ice rink and like feel the magic of Christmas. And yet Three Crosses isn't just saying, let's invite people to ice skating. It's like bigger than that, right? And it, I, I also love like one of the things that kind of makes me throw up in my mouth a little bit is like the whole like Jesus juke, you know, where mm-hmm. you like in the in youth ministry context, it, it would be like you throw this massive youth party and it's like all this stuff and there's, you know, whatever. And then like you sneak the gospel in at the end. Like it always, it always just makes me go like, really? Like, I don't know if that's like the best model of going like, we're just going to pack this house and then just like hit them with Jesus really quick and then hope that something changes. Um, and I love that Three Crosses doesn't do that. Like the the model at Three Crosses is like, we care about you over the course of your life, right? We want to, discipleship is messy and it's long standing. And so, yeah, we're going to do things like ice skating and in the youth context. We're going to do di- trips like Disneyland and we're going to go on summer camps. We're going to have a ton of fun together, but it's not just for the sake of like, I can teach this one quick gospel message to you. It's like, no, we want to invite you into this journey and like come along with us as we desire to follow Jesus. And it, it almost feels like, um, I love that Danny said this in sermon review of like, you, you almost pick your head up after like a year and a half of doing life with people. And it's like, well, your first thing was ice skating, huh? <laughs> like, that's crazy. Right. You know, looking back, it's like, yeah. it's not like while we're ice skating, it's like somebody comes up alongside them and it's like, you know, here's a track, here's the gospel, <laughs> like follow Jesus. It's like, right. no, come check it out. Like be a part of us. We have this awesome coffee shop called Cafe Four. Like we're going to do ice skating. We're going to go to Disneyland. We're going to like teach family courses on like screen management for your kids. It's like, this is going to be a place that is like this beacon of light mm-hmm. on a hill for a community of going, if we truly are practicing the life that Jesus has invited us into, it should make an impact in the way that we live our lives. And that should impact the community. And so when we we do things like ice skating, it's like, okay, what is my response to the Great Commission? Because I don't think it's optional. I don't think Jesus went like, you 11 disciples, and then everybody else, eh, you can do the Great Commission for the two weeks a year when you go to Africa. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I don't think that's the response to the Great Commission. So average person in the church, what's your response to the Great Commission? I think a big part of it is like, who do you do life with? Mm-hmm. Who's just in your immediate context? Who do you work with? Who do you interact with? And can we invite those people along um, to do life with us as we follow Jesus? I don't think it has to be, you know, I'm going to go to my barber and the ne- over the next seven haircuts, I'm going to unpack the Romans road and like who God is and that they're a sinner and all this. Like, it could be that, but I also think it could be really simple of like inviting them into the journey that I'm on that includes this incredible community called Three Crosses and all that goes along with that. And so a part of that's Danny. Like he knows a ton about scripture and he's going to be equipped to teach in ways that most of us aren't. Mm-hmm. And, and then another part of that is just a regular life. Watch how I love my wife. Watch how I love my kids. Like I think it's like a uh, joining of both of those things. I don't think it can just be my actions. I don't think it can just be Danny. But I think it's like when we pair those things I think we're starting to respond to the Great Commission by living out Jesus in our communities. I love how it's more organic than we could have ever thought. Yeah. Um, I even look at some of the... the oh, we live in the Bay. We love that word. Organic. Yeah, we do. <laughs> That's right. For yeah. all you sprout shoppers I do not, out there. I do not shop organic. Let's just say that. <laughs> I'm not sold on it yet. It's too expensive. It is a bit expensive. <laughs> trying to save save money, but... Uh, yeah, you can go listen to the giving podcast, and if you buy organic, yeah, think of hey, us. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> but um, I was looking at just like the every time the Bible uses like the word "you," 
it's always shocking to me how I read it for my, myself. Mm. And I think you even brought it up that this was geared toward the 11 disciples. It was always a, a, a community effort. Mm. And so you see that with these two times he says you, uh, teaching them everything I have commanded you. So that's a plural you. Yeah, y'all. Surely I am with you, y'all, always to the very end of the age. So yeah. it was never meant to be like this isolated right. thing. And Austin, I developed a skeptic question just for you. I love it. We do skeptic questions a lot on this podcast, but um, having been here for, how long have you been here now? Uh, Three weeks. Three weeks. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, how can I ask him a good skeptic question from a three-week perspective? Yeah. I'm calling this my three crosses skeptic question. Because you brought up things like Disneyland. You brought up things like ice skating. Mm -hmm. We mentioned fall festivals. We mentioned extravaganzas. Um, you know, we have a long history of a lot of creative outreach. You think of like the cheerleading rallies. You think of the port of call was uh, throwing parties for sailors. You think of this rich history of of developing these large events mm-hmm. that become easy to invite. Yeah, and yeah, one of the things that comes around having been here for a while now is this skepticism saying, what do these events have to do anything with church? Mm. If there's not like a clear-cut gospel message, Mm. like why should I invite somebody to an ice rink when like I I should really be worried about their eternal souls? You know, I need to like, I need to be that person on the ice that skating around with the track and like making sure they got it in their back pocket and like explaining it to them. so right. the question is, how, how do these... Or, or the skeptic asks the question of like, you know, why are you doing this whole giving thing when you just spent all this money right. on an ice rink? <laughs> right. Like, why, yeah, would yeah. You, why are you asking for my money to do this? So how, how do... It's a great question. How do these seemingly expensive events, you know, right. Disneyland costs a lot. Right. The ice rink costs a lot. How do these expensive, large, grandiose... No, break even. Shout out to right. John Tunger. <laughs> Shout out to John Tunger. How do these large events contribute to the Great Commission? Yeah, no, it's such a good question. And I would quote my old boss from North Coast Church. His name is Chris Brown. Um, He called himself the other Chris Brown. (laughs) If you know, you know. Um, But he would, he would, this was just his mantra. He would say, relationship is the bridge that truth travels over. And I just love that. I love the simplicity of that, of for most of us, right? Like, how does truth come our way? It's, it's so different. Like I'm 31 and I'm more keenly aware at this point in my life that I know nothing than any other period of my life, right? It's like, yeah, I've, I have a college degree and I have 10 years of working experience and yet I'm just consistently walking through life going like, I just don't know what I don't know. And I'm like constantly seeking out wisdom and perspective and advice. And I'm like, I just moved my whole family to San Diego or from San Diego to the Bay. And I'm like relearning everything. I'm like, I, I'm refiguring out marriage in, in a new season. And I have two little girls. I have a 10 month old and a three and a half year old that I'm constantly like, <laughs> what am I doing? Right. I'm just like fumbling around in the dark, trying to be a good parent and, um, and be a good pastor and like lead well and all those things. So all that to say, like, I, I need people that are truth speakers in my life. I need somebody to come up to me and go like, Hey, you messed that up or you're not doing this well, or you need to check yourself here. But you and I, 
receive that kind of feedback from people that we have relationship with, right? Like right, right. if somebody random walks up to me and they just like dig into me, it's like, <laughs> what? Thank Excuse you, me, angel in blue jeans, this right? Like that, it should be God <laughs> or ouch, right? Like who are you? Like get away from me. Um, and yet when somebody I love dearly and that knows me well, like speaks a truth into my life and like digs into me a little bit, it's like, dang, thank you, right? It's like the proverb that says, uh, I might butcher this. Maybe you could help me out. But it's like it's like uh, wounds from a friend are better than kisses from an enemy or something along those lines of like... Go with it. Yeah, it, it, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's a proverb. Um, yeah. Or it was, I don't know, like a tweet or a Facebook post or something. But, um, <laughs> Modern day proverb. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm pretty sure it's an actual proverb. <laughs> but I think that's, that's so true. Like the wounds from a friend... It's like so much better than a kisses from an enemy. The the, mm. the, the enemy that flatters like, for what, right? But mm. when somebody that really knows you goes like, AJ, bro, you blew it there. Right. It's like we need that relational connection to speak hard truth. And so I, I would just, all that to say, circling it all the way back, why do we do things like Disneyland? Why do we do things like ice skating or fall festival or whatever it might be? It's like what an awesome opportunity to create relational human connections. And it's like that's the beginning of discipleship. I... I I'm not going to say that God can't use this because I would never say those words out loud, but I, I would love to talk to every person that's ever stood on a corner with one of those signs that says like, you know, repent or you're going to hell. And it has like the pictures of like the mm-hmm. fiery flames and like the f- several verses from whatever revelation or Jesus's teaching about hell. And it, like, I just want to go up to him and like very calmly be like, can you please tell me one success story where somebody walked up to you and said like, wow, you're right. Like Mm. I do need to repent. And I, Jesus does need to be the Lord of my life. Like, again, I'm not going to say it's never happened, but I just don't get that. Right. Like people Mm. yelling at people and like, you know, Mm. screaming the gospel at them. And it's like, I just, I don't think this was Jesus's model of ministry and I don't see how effective that is. And so when I look at things like ice skating, it, to me, it's like, I think Jesus would have ice skated. I think Jesus would have, <laughs> which is a funny picture, uh, thinking of like a first century <laughs> Jewish man ice skating. But um, I think it's it's like incarnational ministry, which is a like big churchy word that just means right. like in it, in the community with the people. So it's like, what do the people want to do? They want to ice skate. How do I know that? 40,000 people right. came up to our church to ice skate right. over Christmas. Mm. Now, does that mean 40,000 souls are saved and heard the gospel? No, but it does mean that people are familiar with our church and mm-hmm. if they're hurting and broken and like, I'm really proud of the way that our church creates opportunities to build relationships because relationships are the bridge that truth travels over. And trust me, like for all you skeptics out there, I'm with you. Like I, I would not have moved my family from San Diego to a church that just like throws these big cheesy events, grossly overspends on things just to like drop the Jesus bomb and like send out an email the next day that's like, we saved X amount of people. Like I asked all those questions before I came Mm -hmm. to Three Crosses and I really believe in Danny and I believe in this church and I believe in where we're going and I believe in like the effective, powerful tools that we're using to build relationships with our community. It's fascinating coming from an outside perspective. Have yeah, you seen what yeah. we've done? Just like, man, totally. you're coming to a church that has an ice rink in their front lawn. Right, you know? right, yeah. <laughs> so, man, thank you for that perspective because I think it, it challenges a lot of our thinking because, yeah, we have a rich history of, of brainstorming a lot of these new ideas. I love what you said, incarnational 
uh, discipleship where yeah. you're in it. You're in it with the community. And mm. yeah, like you said, 40,000 people coming to Ice Skate. Mm. It's like, what better way to, to incarnate yourself into the community? And, and that kind of leads to your, the, the second passage that you brought up in your message, Second uh, Corinthians 5. And it talked about, yeah, we have this transformation in Christ. He's made us new and we've been reconciled back to him. And not only that, but he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. And the verse goes on to say, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So it feels like in if you just rewind the podcast right here, there's a little bit of tension between what is my role in approaching somebody and sharing the gospel and, and leading somebody to Christ, and how much do I depend on the church and Pastor Danny and Austin and AJ and Patty and all these people that pr- presumably do this for a living how much do I rely on on their efforts? And, and I loved in the sermon review process, you brought out the fact that you have experience with ambassadors, mm. and, and that like seems my dream to be job. That, yeah, that seems to be like a key in this conversation of yeah, what is the balance between personal evangelism and me being the conduit of, of somebody coming to faith, and this role of the church and and. Yeah, when should we invite people to, to, yeah, you need to sit down and, and be a person in those seats when you hear this message. So I'm wondering, could you share a little bit of insight into what, it does, what does it mean to be an ambassador and how does that help us illuminate this idea of invitation even more? Yeah, yeah, I love the verbiage of Second Corinthians 5. It's like a, a favorite passage of mine for sure. I think I, I brought it up in the first sermon I ever taught here at Three Crosses, which was the hell one. Thanks, Danny. Um, <laughs> But the only thing, honestly, the only thing that would have been more funny is if, like, my first sermon was hell, which it was. My second one was Tamar, which it was. If my third one would have been tithing, <laughs> that would have been the trifecta, three, right? Yeah. So, Danny, thank you for taking that one. I get the Great Commission, which is like, yeah. yes, I love it. Um, but, yeah, the, this concept of being an ambassador, I, I grew up in Ecuador and spent most of my life down there. We'd go to this Fourth of July party, and, uh, again, I talked about this a, a couple months ago, but you walk into the gates of the ambassador's house and it like smells like America, right? There's like a barbecue going, you grab a Dr. Pepper out of a cooler, which you couldn't get Dr. Pepper anywhere in Ecuador. And it just like, you speak to somebody and they speak English and you're like, whoa, and there's an American flag, you know, waving. And it just like, there was this essence of America in the middle of Ecuador. Mm -hmm. And so you expand on that analogy. And I love the C.S. Lewis quote that says like, if we find in this world that nothing satisfies, then maybe we were designed for something else, something bigger than just what we see around us. And I I think there's a little bit of that like heaven on earth-ness when we see that Jesus says like, I'll be with y'all wherever you go. It's like, that means like when we gather, God is present with us and like, yes, God is everywhere. But I I think there is something about like the introduction of the Holy Spirit here pre- Jesus's resurrection and the spirit coming down in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit like almost like stopped in on people mm. but didn't dwell. There wasn't well, there wasn't this indwelling. And so mm-hmm. when we see 
uh, I mean, this is getting into like such a bigger conversation, but like the tearing of the veil when when Jesus resurrects, and, or sorry, when Jesus dies on the cross, and there's like this access through Jesus to God, mm-hmm. through the Holy Spirit that indwells, now it's significant when Christians gather. And so I think mm-hmm. there is a little bit of that like three crosses as the light on the hill is because when people come into this place, there should be this like, oh, this is different. In the same way, like when I went to the ambassador's house, it's like something changed, mm-hmm. right? The way mm-hmm. people talk is differently. The way, like the the smells and the tastes and right. all that. And I, like, <laughs> I'm, get, I'm getting carried away a little bit. It's not like <laughs> you come to Three Crosses and it's like, this is holy food and it smells differently. The, co- the um, coffee, man. It right? tastes yeah, different. Yeah, verve. <laughs> yeah, let's go. The verve here is blessed verve. But um, I do think there should be something about a Christian community that, marriage is done differently, like parenting is done differently, community outreach is done differently, generosity is done differently, um, that largely, when you look at the history of the church, that's actually true. Like, the most philanthropic group of people throughout history is the church. And I think, like, people love to bring up, like, the um, crusades and, like, you know, these dark spots in church history, which are absolutely dark spots. And, like, I would never, ever condone them, obviously, but in the grand scheme of the history of the church has been benevolent and has mm-hmm. been philanthropic and has been for the betterment of humanity, and mm-hmm. I think it should be. It's like, that makes sense. Like, when you look at Jesus and his mission to reach the world, like, I think it's a both and. Um, I don't think anybody should ever be taught the gospel without their physical needs being met, but I don't mm-hmm. think we should ever meet somebody's, meet somebody's physical needs without teaching the gospel. Right, it's like right. those things have to go hand in hand. And so when we're Christ's ambassadors, it's like something has changed about our life, and now like our his love compels us. It's, it's literally what 2 Corinthians 5 says, for Christ's love compels us because we were convinced that one died for all. And so we live our life compelled to make an impact to be that light, that beacon of light in a very dark world. Like that's like the one thing I think unanimously everybody can agree upon. It's like, it's not hard to turn on the news, flip on Twitter, like look around us and go like, there is a darkness in the world. Like it is broken and people are broken. So what's the answer? It's like, what do we just stick our heads in the sand? Or as the church, do we genuinely believe we're ambassadors? And like, we have been given the message of reconciliation big word that just means mend, like mend the brokenness, Mm. like build bridges, like before one another. And I think that's what the gospel does for us. It's like, it gives us the power through the person of Jesus to go like, I can now stand with any group of people anywhere and and build bridges and mend because we together find unity in Jesus where we, if we have no other common ground, it's like, it's in the person of Jesus. Mm. Yeah. That imagery of the U.S. embassy in a foreign land. I can yeah. only imagine how powerful it must have been when you set foot right. on that place and, and just smelled home and, and had that flashback of, of that one place. That And it feels like, that. yeah, that analogy is really good. And I want to take that analogy one more step in this conversation because what happens when the ambassador him or herself goes out from that place, yeah. like leaves the embassy and goes to like the Ecuadorian people or whatever. And so my question to to close this out is as we're thinking about our role as ambassadors and our role and invitation and the power of invitation, Mm. um, and we we get like a glimpse of the message that we're carrying at the end of this 2 Corinthians passage, 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a message that we get to go out into the world with. And so as you're thinking about 2024, uh, coming to a new church, all these different things in your life, what would you like to see from all of us yeah. when it comes to the power of invitation and leaning into building up the embassy, as it were, but then also going out as ambassadors? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a balance, right? Um, which, by the way, if you've made it this far in the podcast, <laughs> good for and you. you huh? right, and you're, you're still listening to AJ and I just like <laughs> drone on about things that we're passionate hey, about. We thought we were going to go three hours. Man. <laughs> <laughs> we did talk about doing like a Joe Rogan long, long forum podcast, but um, not that I'm advocating for Joe Rogan, just uh, <laughs> putting that out there. But um, honestly, if you're still listening to this, come find me and I'll buy you a coffee at Cafe Port because I'm truly impressed. Uh, but yeah, I think like the the cool analogy of the ambassadors, like the ambassador is not always on like official business, quote unquote. Uh, like they're not constantly speaking on behalf of America. It's like for sure there are 100% moments where they're standing up on a platform as the ambassador speaking on behalf of America. It's like that's what makes an ambassador powerful. That's why they're like untouchable in these foreign countries and the embassies are so significant. And if like you're in trouble in a foreign country or you lost your passport and you get inside of an embassy. It's like you're on U.S. soil. Like it's such a powerful thing. And the ambassador stands up and speaks on behalf of America. And yet there's also moments, to your point, where the ambassador goes grocery shopping and the ambassador is driving in a car. And like the, the way that ambassador carries themselves is super important, right? Mm -hmm. Like if an ambassador stands up on behalf of America and speaks a, like a, a political statement and then goes and like, has road rage or like, you know, beats somebody up in a grocery store. It's like, that's not okay. Yeah. Like, and we would all go like, mm, nope, can't do that. And yet within the context of Christianity, like, I think that same thing is true. Like mm. we 100% should be able to speak the gospel because the gospel is inherently words, right? It's like God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That word become something that wasn't now is righteousness, right standing with God. Like, that's what that means. We were once wrong with God. We now can be right with God because of Jesus. Those are all words, right? You're never going to be nice enough for somebody to, like, naturally right, deduce that from your actions. Like, if the gospel is words. And yet, like, those words carry no weight if your life does not demonstrate a difference. And so that's where I would just say like, it's a, a hand in hand, right? Relationship is the bridge, truth travels over. Like the way you act in your neighborhood and like around people and at work, of course it matters. Like, and yet like, I think the power of invitation is to bring somebody alongside you to a community like Three Crosses and go like, oh, like I did kind of always feel like there was something different about you. And it's, it's both and, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think some people have the absolute gift of evangelism, and I think that's mm -hmm. a gift. Mm -hmm. Like, you can interact with a stranger and break down the gospel in a way that I'm like, yo, <laughs> I'm a pastor. This is what I do for a living, right. and I can't do that, right? Like, I can't sit next to somebody on an airplane and be like, let me tell you about, you know, this yeah. passage, whatever. Like, I'm like, yeah, I like the Raiders. <laughs> you want to talk about football? And like, <laughs> I'm going to build that bridge. And then, you know, maybe I see you again. And over the course of life, like, I'm more of a like, I'm going to invite you into my normal. We're going to do life together. And like, I think we'll have cool, deep conversations. Like, I don't think I have the gift of evangelism like that. Um, but I think it is a gift. And so that's where I would just say, 
again, it's a gray area. It's right. one of those like, well, is it all evangelism or is it just invite people to butts and seats at church? And it's mm-hmm. like, yes, <laughs> it's a cop out. But I think the way that you live your life matters. Evangelism is super important, but also like, heck yeah, like invite them to come to church, yeah. bring them to sit next to you. Uh, invite them to like a parenting class and invite them to have, you know, bring their high school student to Omega. Like watch how both of those things held in tandem can start to impact the people that you, as you are going, as the Great Commission says, you make disciples and you pick your head up 18 months from now and go like, dang, like the first thing you came to was that parenting class with me or ice skating or you invited your kid to Disneyland. Like I would love to see that response from Three Crosses. Well, you heard it here first that if you made it this far, you can uh, grab Austin and uh, all three of you might buy you some cafe for coffee. Hi, mom. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, Austin, thank you so much for uh, breaking this stuff down. Awesome conversation. Uh, Yeah. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely Jesus is with you always to the very end of the age. So what an encouraging word. So, Austin, thanks so much for joining us. Sayonara.